for the last several weeks, Kevin has been preaching from the book of the Acts of the Apostles in a series, and this Sunday, I and next Sunday, David, will continue to consider stories from this wonderful book of the New Testament scriptures. Today, we will be looking at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Listen now for the word of God. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite Broadway shows is Les Miserables, the music based on the book by Victor Hugo. I have seen it several times and routinely weep my way through it. Now, that may not be saying much because I am one of those folks who can weep at Hallmark commercials, but there is something about Les Mis that touches the very core of my being, and from start to finish, I find myself weeping. I'm sure some of the tears I shed are because the story contains some highly sad themes, poverty and violence, the longing for political freedom, 
the capacity of human beings for cruelty and brutishness, courage in the face of impossible odds, unrequited love, and the pain of death and grief. But I believe my tears are primarily because of the theme that is the true heart of the story, the theme of redemption, grace, mercy, and the transformation that can be wrought in a life when it comes face to face with the powerful, radical love of God and Jesus Christ. The writer Enuma Okoro writes about Les Mis in this way. She says, it is a story about the triumph of love, not romantic love, but crazy love, the love we receive when we haven't earned it, when we least deserve it, and when we hardly expect it. This is the kind of love that makes a life pivot on its axis and transforms ordinary moments into glimpses of God and ordinary people into ordinary saints. I wept like a fool throughout most of the show, she writes, because that kind of crazy love is heart-wrenchingly beautiful and pierces a primal center in me. It is a love born out of a heart in which God's rhythm beats louder than the aching chant of life's pain and injustice. If we believe in the triumph of love, holy, beautiful, grace-filled, merciful love, then some aspects of our own stories have to change. For the one or two of you sitting here today who may never have read the book or seen the stage show or the movie, the briefest description of the story is this. A man named Jean Valjean has been embittered and hardened by 20 years of hard labor in a French prison for stealing a loaf of bread. When he is finally released from prison, he makes his way to a church or monastery where a kind old bishop takes him in and provides him with a meal and a warm place to sleep. In return for this kindness, Valjean sneaks away in the middle of the night carrying a bag full of silver he has stolen from the bishop. He is captured by constables and brought back into the presence of the bishop, having told the police that the bishop freely gave him the silver. There, poised on the edge of a return to the cruel prison he had just left, the bishop confirms his story to the police and then gives him even more and better silver to add to his loot. When the police have left them alone, the bishop says to Valjean, and remember this, my brother, see in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have bought your soul for God. Here in this seemingly simple encounter with the stunning grace, mercy, and love of God in Christ through one of Christ's servants, Valjean is transformed forever. The remainder of the story shows how this man, who has been shown mercy, becomes merciful himself. How this man who has been forgiven becomes forgiving. How this man who has been transformed by the radical love of God becomes radically loving himself and transforms the lives of those around him. He has experienced a holy disruption, an encounter that changes everything, and his life is never the same. 
Today, as we continue to read the story of the earliest church in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we hear the story of the faithful Jew, Saul of Tarsus, who encounters a holy disruption of his own on the road to Damascus. And his encounter there with the risen and ascended Christ changes everything for him and for the whole world. Saul was a Pharisee, a good and faithful Jew who was in Jerusalem when we first met him in chapter 7 of Acts. We catch our first glimpse of Saul, that is his Hebrew name, and the Roman form of it is Paul. We catch our first glimpse of Saul at the scene of the stoning of Stephen, who we heard about in Kevin's sermon last week. You may remember that Stephen was chosen by the 12 disciples to serve as a leader among the newly ordained group of deacons who will engage in ministries of care and compassion for the church in Jerusalem and beyond. Stephen speaks boldly for the gospel of Jesus Christ and is a man of wisdom and compassion. It does not take long, however, for Stephen to fall foul of the Roman and Jewish authorities who arrest him drag him outside the city, and then stone him to death. There is a line in the story of the stoning of Stephen that says, quite simply, then they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. As the story concludes and Stephen breathes his last, asking God to forgive his executioners, the passage closes with this verse, and Saul approved of their killing him. As chapter 8 of Acts begins and the persecution of the church widens, we read this sentence, but Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. That is where our passage for today picks up with Saul on his way to Damascus after getting letters of extradition from the high priest in order to arrest followers of the way, which is what the faith was called at the time, and bring them bound back to Jerusalem for interrogation, trial, and possible death. Now, it's important to say this. Paul certainly did not believe he was doing anything evil he was a good and faithful Pharisee, and he believed he was righteous in his campaign to cleanse his beloved Judaism from those he saw as heretics and blasphemers. He was filled with righteous zeal, and he was headed to Damascus in Syria to continue this campaign to restore the purity of the Jewish faith against those who were wrongly calling Jesus Messiah, in Paul's mind, and following him along the way. And it was on that road to Damascus that Jesus entered into Paul's journey with a holy disruption. A blinding flash of bright light causes Paul to fall to the ground as a voice echoes around him and his companions. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus reveals himself to Saul, Paul, who will now as we move forward in the story, be known as Paul, in a vision and calls him to go to Damascus and await instruction that will come from God. If he thought God was going to punish him for his campaign of persecution against the church, he was mistaken. No, 
God in Christ was going to invite him into a life-changing, transformative relationship with Jesus Christ, a holy disruption of what his life had been, and a complete reversal that set him on a new path, one that not only changed the life of Paul, but changed the entire trajectory of the church and of God's world for all time. Paul was a part of God's great plan of salvation. He was Christ's instrument, a word that can also be translated as vessel, to carry the life-giving, transformative, and saving power of the gospel to the world. Once Paul had encountered Jesus, once he had encountered the holy, beautiful, grace-filled, merciful love of Christ, everything changed. The world Paul returned to after Ananias visited him and healed him of his blindness and blessed him with the gift of the Holy Spirit and baptized him into the faith of those who were following Jesus on the way, Paul and the world were completely and forever transformed. Paul, who had been persecuting those on the way, set out and went another way from the one he had been going as the bright light of Christ that first blinded him now led him on through the rest of his life. This holy disruption came to him when he had not earned it, when he least deserved it, and when he hardly expected it. And by the pure gift of God's grace, Paul was transformed, and he spent the rest of his life sharing the radical love, grace, and mercy he had received from Jesus Christ with others. The one who had been a persecutor of Christ and his church now became the one who was willing to suffer persecution, imprisonment, suffering, and eventually death in order to tell the rest of the world the incredible good news of Jesus Christ and the salvation, new life, and redemption Jesus came to bring. As I was reflecting on this passage, I began to think of all of those who experienced the holy disruption of God's call to them, of encountering God and finding their lives forever changed. Abraham and Sarah called out of the comfort and security of Haran to travel in a long and arduous journey to an unknown promised land. Moses called out of a burning bush to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt in spite of his feelings of inadequacy. David, tending his father's sheep, being called by God to serve as Israel's greatest king, in spite of his sinfulness and his shortcomings. All the prophets called out of their ordinary lives to deliver the message of God, often at danger of their own lives. And I thought of all of those who encountered Jesus and found their lives forever transformed by the holy disruption he brings. Little Zacchaeus, the tax collector, encountered Jesus from a sycamore tree and ate at table with him. And then Zacchaeus gave back all the money he had stolen from his neighbors, and he turned and lived a different way. The woman at the well, burdened by a life gone wrong, received living water from Jesus, and her life was never the same as she proclaimed him as the Messiah to everyone she met. Mary Magdalene, freed of seven demons, then followed Jesus on the way and supported his ministry, and her life was forever transformed. 
All of those he healed, those he fed, those he forgave, felt the power of his love and grace and mercy, and their lives would never be the same. The twelve disciples encountered Jesus in their everyday lives and work, and he called them to follow him. And through the transforming power of his love and his salvation, they changed the world in profound ways for all time. All of these people, and so many more down through all of the centuries since, had encounters with Jesus Christ, holy disruptions that set their lives on a new course and changed everything for them and for the world. They encountered this holy, beautiful, grace-filled, merciful love, and they were forever transformed. And they spent the rest of their days trying to share this love with the world. Those who had received mercy became more merciful. Those who had been forgiven became more forgiving. Those who had received the unending generosity of God became more generous. Those who had been transformed by the radical love of God in Jesus Christ became more radically loving themselves. And because the power of Christ was at work in them, and the power of his love was at work through them, all of those they encountered were transformed, and the world has never been the same. Now, most of them, I'm sure, did not do great and extraordinary things. They simply engaged in their simple, everyday lives in more merciful, forgiving, loving, light-bearing ways, a small act of kindness here, an act of grace or forgiveness there, a few loving acts every day, a few words of gospel truth shared, a bit of light given in the midst of darkness, all of it done for the sake and in the name of Christ. And these simple acts and words taken together changed everything, even the world. That is what happened to Paul after the Damascus Road. And the world has never been the same because he allowed the holy disruption of encountering Jesus to change him and to change the world. So what about us? Do we truly know have we truly experienced this holy, beautiful, grace-filled, merciful love found only in Jesus Christ? Do we truly understand that we have received this love not because we've earned it, but we have received it instead, just like Paul, when we least deserved it, when we hardly expected it? Have we truly encountered the radical love of Jesus Christ that has made our life pivot on its axis and has transformed ordinary moments into glimpses of God? Have we received mercy and become more merciful ourselves? Have we been forgiven and become more forgiving of others? Have we been transformed by the radical love of God in Jesus Christ and become more radically loving ourselves? By the power of Christ at work in us and the love of Christ at work through us, have the lives of those who have encountered Christ in us been transformed as well? Not because we have done extraordinary things, but because we have engaged in our simple daily living with small acts of mercy, forgiveness, love, in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Perhaps some of us can say, yes, 
I have encountered this kind of love. I have had this kind of encounter with God, with Christ, and maybe sometimes by the grace of God, others have encountered it in me. Perhaps some others of us might say, I can't say that I have had such an encounter, but oh, I want it. I want to experience this kind of holy, beautiful, grace-filled, merciful love. I want to find the light in the midst of the darkness around me. I want to be transformed by this love and to share it with others. I want God to raise me out of darkness. I want to give my soul to Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to tell others about him. I want to allow him to disrupt my ordinary life in radical ways. I want to be transformed. I want to have an encounter with him that changes everything. Well, my friends, wanting it is half the battle. Showing up here today is a sign that you seek it, that you are seeking him. And in this sanctuary, in this time of worship, in the company of others who are seeking to follow him on the way, this is a pretty good place to start. Look around you. All of us here today are recipients of the holy, beautiful, grace-filled, merciful love of Jesus. A love that we did not earn, a love that is offered to us this very day when we may think we least deserve it, when we hardly expect it. A love that can make our life pivot on its axis and can transform this holy moment into a glimpse of God, this worship service into a place where we can encounter the one who is the means of grace, the means of salvation. No matter what road we were on when we walked in here this morning, no matter where our, what our past sins may be, no matter our doubts and fears, no matter how imperfect our faith may feel, Jesus longs to meet us here this morning to love us, to forgive us, to open his arms to us in grace, to startle us with a holy disruption, and to call us to follow him on the way and be transformed by the radical way he loves us. Right here this morning, Jesus reminds us that our soul has been bought for God. Right here, right now, we can have an encounter with him that changes everything. And when we leave here today, having experienced this holy, beautiful, grace-filled, merciful love, having been transformed by this encounter that changes everything, God does want something from us. God wants those of us who have received mercy to become more merciful. Those of us who have been forgiving to become more forgiving of others. Those of us who have received his unending generosity to become more generous. Those of us who have been transformed by the radical love of God in Jesus Christ to become more radically loving ourselves. We do not have to do extraordinary things. We only have to do small things with great love, to use a quote from Mother Teresa. All we have to do is allow the power of Christ and his radical love to work through us so that others can see his love in us and come to know him so that they can be transformed just as we have been. All we have to do is take the light of Christ 
and go out into the world's darkness and let the little bit of his light that we have been given shine so that the small circle around us becomes just a bit brighter. Jesus is here this morning, ready to meet us with a holy disruption, just as he met Paul on that road to Damascus. And if we will just open our blind eyes and see him, and if we will follow him on the way, I promise you this, nothing will ever be quite the same. For if you truly encounter him, here or out there, it will change you. It will change everything. Thanks be to God. Amen.